Welcome to the Willow Valley Podcasting Channel, where exciting podcasts are created by Willow Valley residents, for Willow Valley residents, and about Willow Valley residents. Hello, everyone. I'd like to welcome my friend and fellow veteran, Vice Admiral Dan Cooper, to our podcast, Under the Willow Tree. My name is Don Heelan, and with me is Ellen, who's our man in our board. Thank you so much, Ellen. As many of you know, Dan spent a career in the Navy, basically focused on submarines. He did a podcast a couple of months ago to summarize that, but, you know, we're moving on from that. So would you just kind of go back for a minute and talk a little bit about uh, your oh. career as a, as a submariner? Okay. Thank you, Don. The, uh, I was fortunate enough to go to the Naval Academy. After that, we were required to go on surface ships for a while before we could transfer to submarines or Navy Air. So I was on an amphibious ship for about 18 months and went into the submarine force. And I was on a diesel submarine for three years. Then the Navy sent me to Harvard. And right out of Harvard, then I was interviewed by Admiral Rickover and went into the nuclear Navy. So for there, about a year and a half of schooling, then do a couple of nuclear ships. Then I got my first duty in Washington, back out to the fleet. Finally had a command out of Pearl Harbor of an attack submarine. And uh, then shortly after that, went uh, back to the Pentagon, then had three years as a submarine squadron commander up in New London, Connecticut, back to the Pentagon. And then I became the uh, commander of the Submarine Force Atlantic, back to the Pentagon as the Deputy Chief of Naval Operations for Undersea Warfare, and then I retired. Boy, that's quite a career, Dan. Congratulations. I understand that Pentagon, because I spent three tours in the Pentagon, it's like a big vacuum cleaner. If you do a good job, it sucks you back again. Now, many, many of our listeners don't know that you basically had two careers. First, your Navy career. And was it difficult for you to transfer from the Navy to the VA, to transfer from Admiral to Mr. Secretary. How did it happen, Dan? Well, I, when the time, after I retired, uh, I got onto a couple corporate boards and a couple advisory boards. One of the corporate boards was the USAA, and we were allowed to be board members for 10 years. At the 10-year point then, I left the board the secretary of the VA at the time, Tony Principi, was a friend of the CEO at USAA. I didn't know this, but evidently he called the CEO and said, would he do a study? The CEO obviously replied he was up to his ears with USAA work. And however, Dan Cooper had just left the board and might be available. So predicated on that, I got a call one day out of the blue up in Reading, Pennsylvania, asking if I would like to come to Washington and have lunch with the Secretary of Veterans Affairs. Well, I'd never had lunch with the Secretary before, so I thought that was a cool idea. When I went down, we met and talked for a couple minutes, and I hadn't even sat down to lunch. And he said, Dan, I'd like you to do a study. And I said, Mr. Secretary, I can't even spell VA. But he allowed us how he would overcome that. He would give me lots of people, 10 people, as a matter of fact, who were very knowledgeable in all the inner workings of the VA 
and particularly the benefits side, which is where they had a major problem. And so he asked if I would do the study. And I said, oh, I like to do the studies. That's great. About halfway through the study, I made it a point to meet with the secretary two or three times a week because he knew what it was all about. And I was just trying to learn. And I wanted to make sure we did what he wanted as far as looking at the right things. And so as a result, we really established a bond pretty quickly. And after about a month and a half, he asked me if I would like to be the undersecretary for benefits. And I said, no, I really wouldn't. That In fact, I like doing studies and I wasn't looking for a job. And I don't think he wanted someone doing a study who was looking for employment. So he agreed and didn't say anything further until after we finished the study. And he said, I'd like me to stay on board and to help execute the study. And I said, that would be fine. About two weeks into that, he called me up to his office and he said, I just fired the undersecretary. Now will you take the job? <laughs> so, so, sounds like he had you on tap. They were, they were plotting to get you, <laughs> draw you in, Dan. So it worked. And I thought about it and I thought, you know, there really could be no more idealistic job than to do that and help veterans. And I now knew the basic problem within that office, the Undersecretary for Benefits. There were other aspects to it, but the primary function, 66% of my time would be spent working on disabilities, which is what we had just studied. And in Washington, nobody has a chance to go to a job as a presidential appointee, which was that knew their job. They're coming out of something else. So all those people have to spend time learning. I had the benefit of under no pressure having done the study. So I felt that the idealism and the fact that I knew the secretary very well by that point and therefore felt pretty good about taking the job. So I said, okay. Wow. And you had all your experiences in the military. So you understood veterans. You've seen that side and you know what some poor... PFC or Navy uh, uh, corpsman uh, goes through and, and with a family of three and all that sort of stuff. So seems to me you would be an, uh, an ideal cam- candidate. Now, you mentioned that you were an appointee. What was the nomination process like? I don't imagine you did that in two days. It was <laughs> No. Uh, the nomination process, first, I had not been political in any way, shape, or form. So I had not done anything for any political person. As a result, I pretty much had to get screened and give semi-correct answers by some young lady who did this thing for political appointees. But on top of that, then, the secretary had to go to the president and say, okay, I would like to nominate Cooper for this job. And he isn't intimately involved in politics or or parties or anything. And so... Because I had done the study, the president approved that. Well, then the nomination goes over to the Hill. All this time, you're getting a background investigation by the FBI, which takes a good bit of time. Then you're nominated to the Senate VA committee. That whole process took about six months before I was called then to testify. (laughs) So then I go over and testify. And the funny aspect of that is two under there are three undersecretaries at the VA. Okay. There's one for benefits, 
There's one for health for all the hospitals, and there's one for cemeteries. Well, they were nominating a new person for health and me for benefits. And the fact is, many people understand the health aspects. Very few people understand what in the world this guy does for benefits. As a result, we sat there together. He got 23 questions and I got three. <laughs> but even after, going, after having gone through this nominative process, it still took about another month before they finally approved. And during that time, I was not allowed over in the office, which I was about to assume, until the Senate has said, you are approved. And that was about a six and a half, seven month period. Wow. <laughs> I remember at a much lower level, uh, when I first got to the Pentagon, I had to be nom- I had to be cleared for a top secret, and it was top secret limited distribution and all this burn before reading stuff. And so I didn't realize what the FBI was doing. And one day, I got a call from my mother, and she said, "Don, Mrs. Cohen, who lives next door, just came over, and she said the FBI is looking into you." What happened? And I heard my dad in the background, what did that fool get into now? <laughs> you know? So I, I understand. I never went through that nomination process. But can you tell us just a little bit some of your responsibilities as the undersecretary of the VA? It's got to be a lot of stuff going on. Well, there are a lot of very important programs run by the undersecretary for benefits. Some of them, people on active duty can take advantage of. For instance, we had the loan guarantee, and many of us in the military, myself included, went to the VA for the VA loan because it was about a quarter percent less than where you got anywhere else. And so the loan guarantee is one of the main ones that you can do on active duty. Disability compensation, as I mentioned, was the primary purpose of the, and that is for people who have been injured or gotten a disease sometime during their military service and therefore have a disability that was with them after they left the service. And so they get a certain amount of disability compensation for that, dependent upon how bad the injury, how bad the disease effect was. We also have education. The old GI Bill and now the new GI Bill that came into effect just as I left the VA. Very, very good bill for people getting out, not only can they take advantage of that for almost a full college education, they can also transfer some of that to their wife or children. So that's an extremely good program. In other words, vocational rehabilitation that we do for those people who have disabilities and give them programs for education and learning in order to be able to be productive out Mm -hmm. in civilian life and A final one is insurance, and everybody that goes into the military can get this insurance at a very decent cost, very good cost to them, and I strongly advise anybody in the military to take advantage of that. That also can carry over into VGLI, which is for the veterans. There, the cost differential is not quite as good, but it is a good program. And I think our veterans here at Willow Valley are very fortunate that you're here because we have our quarterly newsletter and you keep giving us updates of what's going on in the veterans community. 
and what sort of things they want to watch out for. Wasn't there something that you caught uh, working through that with the VA after a spouse died that a lot of people didn't realize? Uh, My wife died. I should have realized it, but I didn't. And when my wife died, I, of course, told DOD right away. But I get some disability for a couple things. And as a result of that, you also get an extra component Right. as a result of having a dependent. And, of course, I got a small component because of my wife. I failed to tell the VA about that, not because I wanted to hide it, but I failed to do that as a result about Last December, I get a bill for about $3,000 for the extra money. And of course, I paid it back right away. Yeah. So there's there's so many things like that. And if you're not careful when you begin to look at VA compensation or regulations, your eyes always glade over. And that's something I'm going to deal with next time or next year. And there's so many different programs. Um, did, you mentioned these different programs. How in the world did you coordinate How'd you coordinate all that? I mean, it's got to be a terrific problem. The composition of the Office of the Undersecretary for Benefits, we have 57 regional offices around the country. And quite frankly, for a while, I referred to them as Heinz sauce because we had 57 varieties. (laughs) That's the whole reason that we had the study. Because the primary purpose was to have everybody treating every veteran the same. And yet you have 57 offices. And you found there was disparity in how they treated the same disability that was not evident. It wasn't a lost arm. It might be a disease and the effect of a disease. So you find that in each office, they were sort of had their own way of doing things. So the primary purpose of the study was how did you get uniformity in doing that, ah. and how did you ensure as close as possible that every veteran would get the same thing no matter what office he went to for that particular disability? And so you, that brings into the account training. How do you train all those people? Each office had between 100 and 200 people. And so you had, it was a very comprehensive attack that we took. But we came out from my study with 32 recommendations. And the secretary approved 30 of those. Wow. His initial uh, statement was he wanted all of our things, all of the actions that we recommended to be capable of execution by him without going back to Congress. And so that was the parameter within which we worked. Good. Well, sounds like you really had your uh, had your hands full to try to help those veterans, and I'm sure because of your background, you you felt the need to do that. Now, obviously, you must have had a bunch of frustrations, but I bet you had some of your proudest moments. What were some of those frustrations, and what was probably your proudest moment for when you were working there as the undersecretary? Well, one of the things that uh, I was energized by is to go over and be in con- talk to Congress. And quite frankly, uh, I think while I was there, I must have gone over to a committee or a subcommittee uh, 40 times to talk about very specific things. And so to find congressmen who were extremely interested in what you had to say and were willing to listen 
and then give you feedback and have interplay. And quite frankly, one of the most interesting was ones that I had was Senator Obama. He had just come into the Senate and he was on the VA Senate committee. And after testifying one time, he came down to where I was sitting and said, would I be willing to come over and talk to him in his office? And of course, I said, well, Senator, let me check my schedule and see if I have time. <laughs> I, think I, can, I think I can work you in, Senator. So I did. I went over. And it was fascinating because even though he had two staffers sitting there with him, he asked all the questions. He didn't allow them to say anything. So it was strictly a dialogue between himself and me. And it was very, he was very interested. It was not political. It was just a very interesting discussion back and forth. He accepted the things I said, and <laughs> I tried to be truthful. And so we had a very good discussion. And then he said, as I left, would you be willing to come back in a couple weeks? And I allowed us how, yeah, I'd be willing to do that. Yes, absolutely. And we did meet a second time. And an offset of that, an offshoot of that, was Dick Durbin, who was the senior senator, then called me in about a month later and said, he opens the door as I walk in, and he said, now I know that you've been over there with Obama. And he said, that's kind of political. He said, I want to talk about submarines. Ah, so there we you spent go. 15 minutes talking about submarines. There you go. So those kinds of things were fun. I also had a chance to go to Afghanistan with the secretary, and we were over there for Thanksgiving. And, of course, he talked to the, the people over there that were in Kabul. We were in Kabul. At the oh, time. boy. Yeah. And so that was uh, that was interesting. Another time that right out of the blue, I got a call from the secretary and said that they were going to have the 60th anniversary of the landing in southern France. And the vice president couldn't go. Would I be willing to go? So once again, I said, well, let me check my schedule, see if I have time to work. <laughs> I, that I think in. I can work that in. So I went over and spent three days in Paris as they had the 60th celebration. We then flew down to. Uh, Toulon, and went aboard the De Gaulle, their carrier. Okay. So that type of thing was fascinating. Yeah. And uh, those are some of the extras. Absolutely. Well, you know, uh, we're I've, I find that our time is starting to come to a close, but, you know, uh, Admiral, I keep hearing these rumors <laughs> that um, you might have known something about helping out for the hunt for Red October. Is that just a rumor, or you were really a subject matter expert, or how did that work? My office as the deputy CNO for undersea warfare was involved with the hunt for Red October. We had we in the nuclear submarine force had never cooperated with Hollywood, uh, but because of Top Gun and the success of Top Gun, ah, the Secretary okay. of the Navy John Lehman said to the submarine force, I want you to cooperate with Hunt for Red October because Tom Clancy was very pro-Navy. The book was a very good book. Mm -hmm. And so my predecessor in the job in Washington had, in fact, started working and doing various things. And I think uh, uh, what you might be interested in is a couple of the innovative things we did okay. to help them. And one of those things... We allowed sailors in San Diego on submarines, if they took leave, to go up and be the extras for Hunter October. That meant you had people that knew what they were doing on submarines 
doing the same thing in a movie rather than taking actors and trying to train them of what to do. Can you imagine the thrill of that for those guys? So we had several of those guys up there that they really enjoyed. The second thing we did, my predecessor really initiated, but we sent several of those main actors to sea on submarines. Ah, okay. And among those, well, the main ones you can think of, Jonesy, the Soderman, uh, the commanding officer we sent. The commanding officer... Uh, and I'm trying to think of uh, what is what his name was uh, Scott Glenn. Oh, okay. Scott Glenn, who was the commanding officer of the Dallas, went to sea on a submarine with one of our best commanding officers. And that commanding officer, when decision time came, he turned to Scott Scott Glenn and say, "What do you want to do?" And suddenly Scott Glenn became engrossed in understanding how the submarine worked. Okay, and his trainer Tom Fargo was extremely good, and I heard an interview two or three years later of Scott Glenn, and one of the statements he made was before he went on board that submarine, he thought a submarine commanding officer was a marine who was <laughs> in charge of a submarine, and so you know marines have a certain way of acting. Yeah, but he found watching this commanding officer. That was a much more thinking type of thing. Ah, good. A much more understanding of what you're doing and not yelling and stomping your foot, but in fact talking in a very modulated voice and being essentially in charge as an individual. Good. So I think we got very good things out of that. Um, another thing we sent some newspapers people to see also. So. That got some pretty good publicity. We Absolutely. had made a habit of sending news people to see, <laughs> as you can imagine. And so several of those things worked to make it a better movie. Good. Well, you know, I just saw it again for about the third time and just absolutely loved it. And I just uh, want to thank you for all you did as an admiral, as a VA, and for the hunt for Red October. Okay, uh, can you go ahead and check us out? Thanks for listening, and be sure to listen again next week and every week when we'll have another exciting guest.